Tennis Gambling Podcast, the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, is presented by WinBet. Bet $100 at WinBet and get a $100 free bet. Head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash WinBet, the sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It is currently Monday night, October 10th. I am your host, Scott Reichel, and it's going to be another solo pod as we go through the two ATP tournaments in the Frenzy Open and Gijon, which should be a lot of fun. But before we actually get into any of the previews for the outrights and eventually the lock and dog picks for the matches, it is time to recap how we did last week or last episode and overall did pretty well in the last episode. Ended up going two and one. We did a lock, a dog, and a fun bonus prop. We ended up winning the lock. We had the over 22 and a half games in the Tiafo Fritz final, and that ended up cashing as that match ended 7-6-7-6 in favor of Fritz. However, for the dog, we did have the over two and a half sets in that same match at plus 125 between Tiafo and Fritz. And unfortunately for us, the U.S. Open tiebreaker king, Tiafo, was unable to win a breaker as he lost again 7-6-7-6. So anytime you can go to two breakers and your guy doesn't get an actual set in or you don't have it go the full distance, it's kind of annoying, but at least we cashed the lock. And then for the bonus prop, I gave out Pass over one and a half double faults against Djokovic at minus 150, and that cashed as he had two double faults. So overall, I'll take a two-in-one day any day for the three plays at the end of the show, plus also had Djokovic to win the tournament at plus 140 before that tournament started, and that ended up working out well for us. I can't say that I really reinvented the wheel at all. We took a top-two player of all time to win, and he won. And on top of that, he ended up destroying Sitsipas. I thought it might be competitive. I thought Djokovic would obviously win. But that's going to segue to one of the two main, I'd say, stories from this past weekend with the finals. Starting off with that Djokovic and Sitsipas match. Djokovic, we know, is probably the best player in the world right now. I don't really care what the ATP rankings say. And Djokovic has looked very, very motivated since coming back after the U.S. Open debacle. And that's kind of why we assumed he'd win both in Tel Aviv and this past tournament. But we got to talk about Sitsipas for a second. And I know that I've roasted him in the past, in my opinion, rightfully so. And I feel like my harsh criticisms of him have kind of been well expressed by a lot of the tennis community. We got to talk about his results in Masters 500 tournaments because they are really not good. And to go through his overall numbers, Sitsipas has now reached nine Masters 500 finals, and he's won none of them. He is 0-9, and I feel like that is a perfect just summary or a perfect microcosm of the issues I have with Sitsipas, which is the fact that he's good enough to beat up on bottom feeders, but when he faces off against elite competition, he tends to self-destruct, and we saw it again. And Djokovic was playing lights out. The amount of lines he hit, with some crazy passing shots, was really just next level. Djokovic was so well dialed in for that entire match that I can understand why Paz kind of got run out of the building, and I'm not going to fully roast him for losing to Djokovic. But you hear the stat 0-9 in the finals of Masters 500 events, and it really just has to do with, or it has to make you at least think internally about Paz potentially being an overrated player. And yes, he's still talent-wise a top-10 guy, and he did look better 
throughout the course of this tournament, making it back to the final after he had the U.S. Open disaster, losing in the first round. He also lost a Tiafo in the Labor Cup, so he wasn't playing the greatest tennis going in. He did look pretty good in the first couple rounds, but once again, zero Masters 500 titles for a guy who was supposed to be a next-gen future top three player in the world, multiple-time Grand Slam champion, and I said I don't think he's going to win one. And I still don't think he's going to win one until he proves to me that he can actually take a serious opportunity, a serious high-pressure situation, and just run with it. I'm going to have a hard time trusting him to win any Grand Slams or any serious tournaments. Yes, I know he made the French Open final, and he lost to Djokovic after leading two sets to nothing. Can't really call it an insane choke job because Djokovic is Djokovic, but still, you're up 2-0 in a Grand Slam final. He did have that thrilling two-set comeback against Nadal in the Australian Open a couple years ago. But once again, besides that match against Nadal, I really can't think of many matches where he's responded to serious adversity against elite competition. And that's kind of the constant, I'd say, differential between the big two now that Federer retired, or even big two for the past couple of years, once Federer's knees gave him serious problems. But that's really what separates Djokovic and Nadal from everyone else, which is the fact that you know when things get badly, when things get bad, you know that Djokovic and Nadal will go down fighting, and you can never assume that they are done for until match point is officially over. Because we see it all the time with the younger guys. Besides maybe one. We'll talk about one in a second. But you're looking at Tsitsipas. You're looking at Rublev. You're looking at even Medvedev. We saw in the Australian Open final. Yes, I know he beat Djokovic in the U.S. Open final. We've seen some of these younger players just struggle to fully put matches away or to raise their level to a certain degree higher than they thought was previously possible. And it seems like Djokovic and Nadal throughout their entire careers, have managed to find even higher gears than we thought were possible. And even for a 10-15 minute stretch in a very competitive match, they can turn it up, and that is what puts them in an extremely favorable situation because they are able to turn a close match into a blowout for about 15 minutes, and then once things kind of normal out again, Djokovic or Nadal did a final push to win a set. And at that point, it's kind of the match is over. But you're looking at Tsitsipas. I just think that he doesn't have it. And whether it involves the mental self-destruction that we saw at Wimbledon against Kyrgios or even with his father as the coach, and there's kind of a weird dynamic there, not to mention all the bathroom breaks and all the stalling tactics for the last couple of years, it just seems like when the going gets tough, Tsitsipas gets in his own head. And he kind of self-destructs, but he's not alone there. We know Rublev cannot beat Medvedev to save his life. Rublev also has had problems containing his emotions throughout specific high-pressure moments. And that's why I believe in Grand Slam, what was it, semis or quarters? I'm trying to remember the number, but he's like 0-6, I think, in Grand Slam quarters. or I forgot the exact number, but he's really, really bad in the quarters or the semis. I think it's the quarters, if I'm not mistaken. Pretty sure it's the quarters, but the point is there seems to be a certain barrier that a lot of the younger guys cannot break through. The one exception would be Alcaraz, who's not exactly in the next gen. He's kind of in the next next gen because he was the generation after Sitsipas and Medvedev and all these guys showed up. Yes, he did win a Grand Slam, something that you can't really say that Sitsipas or Rublev did. 
Medvedev did do. Medvedev should probably have two because he choked against Nadal. But still, the Alcaraz won. You still kind of put an asterisk next to it because Nadal wasn't at 100%, and he ended up losing to Tiafo. And Djokovic didn't play. And the Djokovic one's the big one because Djokovic would easily have been favored in the U.S. Open. And from what we've seen with Djokovic in Tel Aviv in this past tournament, he probably would have won because Djokovic, when he's on, is so much better than everyone else, and it's really not close. Now, I'm not taking anything fully away from Alcaraz because at the end of the day, you still have to play it. You still have to play the event. You still have to win. And I'm not taking away team's title over Zverev in that U.S. Open final when nobody showed up during COVID. So I do have to at least point out that at least Alcaraz, even though Djokovic wasn't there, showed he was able to take what was his and what was available. And I do think that is a certain characteristic that he has, and particularly Sitsipas does not. And I want to bring that up because Sitsipas, I know that he lost to Djokovic again. Djokovic is a god. I know that. But still, 0-9 in Masters 500 finals is worth talking about because that's embarrassing for what should be a top five player in the world. But transitioning over to the other uh, storyline from this past weekend, I mentioned it briefly during the final preview video going into the Tiafo and Fritz match. Fritz did win, I believe, his third ATP title of the year, so congrats to him. Most importantly, and I mentioned it, I'm going to mention it again, congratulations to Fritz on being a top 10 player, according to the ATP rankings for the first time in his career. He's had a very nice run for the past year and change. I know the U.S. Open didn't go his way, as he ended up losing in the first round to uh, another American, as he was a pretty big favorite there. But still, point is, despite the U.S. Open not going his way, and despite some injury issues in the past couple of months, he did win another title, and he did end up cracking the top 10 for the first time. So congratulations to Fritz. The rankings are a little bit iffy now because Djokovic is not even in the top five because he hasn't played in half the events this year, even though he's clearly the best player in the world. So you can talk about what rankings actually mean and if there's a problem with the current format because it incentivizes volume over actual quality. But still, regardless of how you slice it, being in the top 10 is still a big achievement. So congratulations to Fritz for that achievement and for winning another title. But it's kind of going to wrap it up for last episode's recap and this past weekend's recap. So we're going to transition over and talk about two more hardcore tournaments taking place in Italy and Spain. We're going to start off with the Forenzi Open and then get into the Gijon Open and talk about the outrights there. But before we actually get into any of the previews, time to take a quick word from our sponsor. Thinking of joining WinBet, now is the perfect time because new customers who bet $100 get a $100 free bet. Plus, the WinBet Casino is always open 24 hours a day where you can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000. WinBet is live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. Plus, WinBet has their own same-game parlay feature. Just click on the game that you like, select Build Your Own Bet, and start building a monster parlay. There's so much to choose from, and all you have to do is head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet so they know we sent you. That's sportsgamblingpodcast slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. 
Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. We just finished going through what happened over the weekend and recapping Fritz's victory over Tiafo, along with Djokovic's victory over Tsitsipas. Now it's time to get into the upcoming tournaments. We're going to start off in Italy. We're going to go over to the Firenze Open taking place in Florence and starting off with the actual odds here. You do have an Italian as the favorite in this event. Not exactly a big surprise, but Berrettini is the favorite to win this event at plus 200. You have Felix at plus 350. Then you have a couple of long shots. It's 10 to 1 or above for everyone else. You have Sonigo at 10 to 1, who did win a title a couple of uh, weeks ago, if not a month ago at this point. You have Bublik, who Sonigo beat in that final at 10 to 1 as well. You have Cressy at 10 to 1, Nakashima 12 to 1, Brooksby at 12, Wolf at 16. Uh, you have... Musetti at 22, Golfin at 22, and then a couple of further long shots from there who I don't think have much of a shot. But going through the actual uh, tournament so far, I do want to go through the history of this event, and it's kind of ironic because there is no history to talk about between uh, really any event here. Uh, to go through some of the actual specifics, the tournament used to be a thing used to have ATP for, uh, Florence every year. And then in 1994, it got discontinued and they brought it back. So it is the first time they've had an ATP event in Florence in about 20 years, about almost 30 years at this point. So it's been a long time. Uh, I was going to say 28 years, 30 years. It's been a long time. So there's really not much to break down in terms of past winners, but either way, should be a fun tournament. Now, first of all, do I understand why Berrettini is favored to win this event? I understand it because he did have a pretty good run there in the U.S. Open. I know things kind of fell apart there in the later rounds, but he still showed that he can regain form on hardcore, especially. And we know that Berrettini, when he's on, is extremely difficult to beat because of the serve and forehand combo. During hard courts in two out of three matches this season was really not great. He did have good showing, as I said before, in the U.S. Open, but he has really not looked that sharp in the three-set max tournaments. And to go through his recent performances, he ended up losing to Rude in straight sets in the U.S. Open. Then in the Davis Cup, he was fantastic. Ended up winning all three matches, beat Chorich, beat Baez, and beat Yemmer. Then he was in the Laver Cup, ended up beating Felix in three which is very impressive, actually, because Felix ended up defeating, uh, yeah, he beat uh, Alcaraz in that event. So uh, the point is, or is that the Davis Cup? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up events here. Felix ended up beating, uh, yeah, Felix ended up beating Alcaraz in the Davis Cup, but in the Laver Cup, like right before that, Berrettini beat him. So the point is, is that Berrettini was against good competition and Felix was in good form. And yet Berrettini ended up beating him. So that definitely means that Berrettini is, at least from what we've seen lately, in good form. And that's why he should be favored in this event. That's also going to explain why Felix is the second favorite to win this event. Because you go through the Davis Cup and he was fantastic. I mentioned how he ended up being Alcaraz. Also beat Kekmanovic in straight sets. And he did well in doubles as well. So he was doing well there. Then in the Laver, lost in that 10-point tiebreak in the third set to Berrettini then ended up beating Djokovic in the Laver Cup, 6-3, 7-6. So very impressive showing there, beating Alcaraz and Djokovic in the span of about a month. Uh, but then he lost to Batista Agut in Astana. So Felix doing Felix things, looking really sharp, and then falling off a cliff at other points. 
Am I going to take Felix to win this event? I am not, because I'm sure, as all of as all of you know, I tend to try to go against Felix a bit because you really don't know what you're going to get in a match-in-match-out basis. And a plus 350, I don't see many great odds on him to win it. Berrettini as the favorite, I feel like I have to like him here based on the form, based on the fact that it's in his home country and he'll have the massive crowd advantage. I do think it's definitely worth something. So if you're asking me who I'd pick as the favorite to win this event, I am going to go with Berrettini. I do think that he's worthy of being a favorite, and I do think that a plus 200 for the hometown favorite, who when he's on is, in my opinion, a top four hardcore player in the world. And that's a pretty safe uh, way to put it. I do think that he should end up being potentially even a smaller favorite, but I'm going to go with him to get the job done here. Uh, But going through some of the other options, that you have, you could mention the other Italian for Sonigo and talk about how he has a shot to potentially do something. I am going to go through Berrettini's draw, though. Face off against Baina in the next round, followed by either Karatsev, Van Rithoven, or Yemmer. I think that Berrettini should cruise through any of those options. Then probably going up against Bublik or Cressy, if I had to guess. Maybe Wolf, but I doubt it. I think Berrettini is good enough to beat Bublik or Cressy pretty handily. And then you're going to basically be looking at the final. So I think Berrettini is a pretty easy path. I'll pick him. And the fact that he's also played in the Davis Cup and a couple of other events, the Labor Cup, etc. I do think that he has shown post-US Open, he's in good form. And I do like what I've seen from that as a result. So going through some of the other draws, a son ago, going to stick with the Italian Italians right now. You have an Italian matchup, most likely, in the next round. Uh, you have Sonigo taking on Zapata Marias. Uh, Sonigo is a pretty big favorite, and I think he should win. Then you have Sonigo against Musetti, which should be fascinating, but I'll go with Sonigo in that one. Uh, I just think on hard court, Sonigo is the much better player. Then he'll probably face off against Brooksby, if I had to guess. Golfen, I know Golfen just beat Alcaraz, but he still hasn't had great form. Lost to Manorino in the match right after it. Brooksby, I do think, is a very good hardcore player. The issue is the lack of full firepower, but I do think that he has enough stability with his overall game to wear down Golfen. Golfen's had a lot of unforced error issues for the past couple months, and I think eventually you'll end up seeing Sonigo taking on Brooksby. So it's kind of an interesting, I'd say, dynamic there. You're looking at the quarterfinal matchup, and you have Brooksby against Sonigo, and through looking at the odds, you have... Um, Sonigo at 10 to 1 and Brooksby's at 12 to 1. I don't know if Sonigo should actually have lower odds than Brooksby. I guess the argument's because he's from Italy. You're going to have a home crowd and the fact that you can make a case. I'm not sure if I agree with the case, but you can make a case that facing off against the likes of McDonald and Golfin is a harder path than facing off against Zapata Marias and Musetti. So therefore, Sonigo has a better, I'd say, chance percentage-wise of actually making it to the quarters. But I don't know if I actually want to take Sonigo because I do think his matchup against Brooksby would be a coin flip. And I don't really know if I want to take the 10 to 1 as a result. So I think I'm going to skip him there. Now, Bublik, I'm kind of interested in. He's also a head case, and I'm not sure he would beat Cressy. Cressy beat him into the final on grass in the ATP final couple of months ago. It was grass. Bublik choked away the entire match, but I'm not sure if you can actually have any takeaways from that since it was on a different surface and it ended up resulting in a Cressy 
uh, made an ATP title. So that was definitely a fun final. I believe that was a Newport, if I think back on it. But if I had to think of anything else or any other options here, maybe Nakashima. I know Nakashima burned us in the last tournament because we backed him and he ended up losing to Chorich. But I do think that Nakashima could give Felix problems. He's a lengthy, still a very fundamentally sound player. And you're going through the path here. I think Nakashima's got a pretty decent path. Now, Felix has a bye. He'd face, he'd face off against the winner of Fuksovics and Atta. I think Fuksovics and Atta are still solid players. And I know that they battled some injuries for the past couple of months, but they both have a certain amount of firepower. And I do think they could, keyword could, give Felix issues. And I think either of them are going to beat Felix, probably not. But do I think there would be an absolute shock to, to me if Felix did lose to Fuksovics or Atta? I think I would be less surprised than other people because I generally rate Felix lower than a lot of other people do. But still, I do think if you're looking at the actual path, Nakashima takes on Gasquet in the first matchup or the first round. I like Nakashima there. He's a pretty big favorite. He should be. Gasquet will try to make every point as long as possible, but Nakashima's also a brick wall, and I think eventually with his age, he'll be able to wear down Gasquet over what could be a three-set marathon, and I think Nakashima would end up doing well there. Then he would take on a qualifier from Turkey, taking on Selik Bilic, who, truth be told, I don't know who that is. I'm going to be honest with you. He's a qualifier from Turkey who ended up having to face off against Zepieri, uh, who was an Italian wild card. So I think Nakashima has a very favorable group of matches there to get to the quarters, and then will most likely play, all, play against Felix. But I do think Nakashima has a good opportunity to make a potentially deep run here. And I do think Nakashima would end up being able to match up very well against Sonigo or Brooksby in a potential hypothetical semifinal matchup. But Nakashima, going through the odds here, he's 12 to 1. I think based on the overall draw and the fact that he basically, in my eyes, has a solid, solid path to the quarters, I like him at 12 to 1. I think there's value there. And he's also on the opposite side of the bracket as Berrettini. So I do think you could be looking at a spot where we could have our two outrights play against each other in the final, which is always the best case scenario. But for me, I don't see many other interesting outrights for this actual tournament. Cressy's an interesting idea because you want to go with a serve and volley guy who could keep his opponents off guard. However, Cressy did have some injury issues, mostly with the U.S. Open and a little bit after that. But still... Servant volley guys have really not done that well on hard courts in terms of winning events. And Cressy's win came on grass, which is kind of less surprising. But I'm not going to pick Cressy. I think Cressy eventually will run into a good returner and he's going to struggle either physically or not. But I do think that you'll end up seeing Cressy maybe win a round or two before losing. Wolf is a fun player to follow because of his forehand. It's very entertaining. I don't think he's good enough to actually win an ATP event at this stage in his career, especially in a field with Felix and Berrettini. So I'm not going to pick them. Bublik's a head case. I'm not going to pick him. I tried that already at 20 to one, made a final. And then midway through the second set, he flips his racket backwards on a slam and tries to hit the ball with the handle. And it went over and he lost the point anyway. But the point is he's a head case and I can't take Bublik at 10 to one. I think Bublik's a good enough player to take at 20 to 1 or higher in events, but 10 to 1, I'm not interested. I think at some point mentally he'll check out and he'll lose. 
Any other options? Musetti, if you want to go for the hometown guy, but I don't think Musetti's good enough on hard court. Goffin, I don't trust for a full several matches in a row. I think he could shock some people and win a round or two against the likes of Alcaraz we saw about a week or two ago. But Goffin, at this stage in his career, he's past his prime, and I don't exactly trust him. Karatsev is interesting. I know he won VO mid-match retirement uh, yesterday, but still... I'm not exactly sold on Karatsev. We know that he's been involved in a match-fixing scandal, him and Basilashvili. But since that uh, scandal came out, or really since his dream run there in the Australian Open about a couple years ago, he really has not been able to duplicate that level of success. And I think as a result, I'm going to pass. Atai can't take because even though I think he could be a nice, interesting piece there, either him or Fuksovics, facing off against Felix in round two, is definitely a very difficult spot, and I'm not going to pick him as a result. So once again, I really don't see many options in terms of value. Uh, just looking quickly, if there's anybody else I like, maybe you can make a case for Yemmer if you think he'll beat Van Rithaven and you like him against Karatsev, but facing off against Berrettini, I don't think Yemmer's going to have a serve that's going to be able to actually hold on a regular basis against Berrettini, and Berrettini is such a good server and the forehand is so powerful, I think he would be able to make every point shorter when Yammer tries to extend every point with his movement, and I think eventually he'd just get overpowered. So I really don't see many long shots in this event. Uh, I wanted to make a case for Yammer at forty to at uh, thirty-three to one. I think there are, you can make an argument thirty-three to one is a pretty decent price because Yammer, with his movement, can be very annoying to play. And if something happens to Berrettini, then I do think Yammer has a decent path. But I'm gonna pass. I don't see many. I don't see much value for most of the tournament. So my two picks for this event are going to be Berrettini at plus 200, and I'm gonna go with Nakashima at plus 1200. Now moving on to Gijon, going over to Spain. This one should be pretty interesting. Uh, going through the actual favorites here, it is another hard court event. You have Rublev at plus 300. You have Karenia Busta at plus 550. Tommy Paul at 750, team at 800. Uh, Batista good at 800. Avashka at 11 to one. Davidovich Fakina at 12 to one. Korda 12 to one. Murray 14 to one. Rinderknich 14 to one. Giron 20, and then a couple of other serious long shots. But either way, this tournament should be a lot more open, in my opinion, than the other one. Uh, you're looking at Florence, and you had Berrettini at two to one. Felix at 350 and every other player was 10 to one or higher. So there's definitely a serious differential of class in the Florence event. Now you're looking at uh, this event and you see Rublev as the favorite and Rublev looked pretty sharp last week. I know he was our, I can't really call him a long shot at eight to one, but we picked him to make a deep run over there in Kazakhstan and he ended up losing to Sissipas in the semis. He was up a set. I thought we were going to get our uh, outright versus outright in the final with Djokovic against Rublev, but he looked good. And Rublev, I think, should be favored as a result. Busta is a weird player to fully evaluate because Busta, we saw the phenomenal run he had there to win an ATP title uh, during the summer. Then the US Open, he had a pretty good run there as well before losing to Kakanov. And you're looking at how he's done since the US Open and he really hasn't done much. And I feel like as a result, I think that there's no value at all on Busta in this event. Uh, to go through his recent performances, he's played one match since the U.S. Open. 
and he lost in Sofia to Husor. Now, in his defense, Husor ended up winning the entire tournament, so I guess you can kind of create an alibi or an excuse there for Busta because he had not played in about a month since he lost in that U.S. Open uh, match to Kakanov, and then he ended up facing off against the winner of the entire event in the first round. So kind of an unlucky draw there for Busta, but he's played one match since the U.S. Open. I'm not picking him to win this event, especially at plus 550. I don't think there's any value on that at all, so I'm going to pass on that one. But I do think if you want to talk about where the value lies, I do think it's with these next two players. And one of them might scare some people off because we have seen him recovering from injury and he has gotten better progressively as it's gone on. But the issue is we haven't seen him fully break through, especially on hard court. But for the Gijon Open, I got to at least look at Tommy Paul at plus 750, who ended up facing off against a very, very intriguing youngster uh, who end up he might become a pretty good player in Landalucci, I believe that's how you pronounce it, who was a Spanish wild card, supposedly been a very solid up and coming player who might be a potential top 50 guy, maybe in two years or so. We'll see how he progresses. But Paul ended up having a Bit of a difficult time early on, but then he completely de- destroyed him as the match went on. Ended up winning 6-3, 6-0, and I thought Paul looked great. The movement was phenomenal. His ability to elongate points, his consistency from both sides, and being an underrated server, I do think, is one of his most underrated weapons. But the point is, I like Paul at plus 750, and looking at the draw, I think it is pretty interesting. Face off against Tringaliti uh, or Alvarez Verona. So I don't want to say it's basically a walkthrough, but realistically, Paul should be a massive favorite in that round of 16 match. And then you face off against most likely Rublev. However, Rublev would most likely have to face off against Avashka in the round of 16. Avashka is facing off against Feliciano Lopez. And I know it's in Lopez's home country. He's got to retire at this point. Lopez's overall record in 2022 is embarrassingly bad. And I think Avashka is going to mop the floor with him in straight sets. So you're looking at Rublev against Avashka. If Avashka could potentially upset Rublev, it would not totally shock me. But the point is Tommy Paul has an easier round of 16 match than the favorite in the entire tournament. And I do think if you want to talk about a rest advantage, Tommy Paul played today. Avashka is going to be playing tomorrow. Rublev's on a bye. So you are wondering if Rublev might be a little bit rusty entering this event. I doubt it because he made a deep run there to the semis in Kazakhstan. But still... Different hardcore, different atmosphere, different country. I'm curious if there will be a little bit of a growing process there or an adaptation process for Rublev. But I think Avashka could potentially upset him. And I think if you're looking at Paul, who is a very solid, once again, all-around player, who has great movement, excuse me, and who can be a really, really interesting underdog candidate because we know Rublev is not afraid to go for broke all the time. And I do think Tommy Paul's movement could potentially result in a serious issue with Rublev's unforced errors. And that has been a problem that he's had to deal with for the entire year. So I like Paul at plus 750. I think he's a very good player. And I do think these odds, based on what I saw yesterday, he looks really dialed in. And I like those odds there at plus 750. And then the other one is a guy that I was referring to at the injuries. I'm sure you know who I was going to talk about. It's Dominic Team. And he's at plus 800. And I know that team is automatically on people's do not bet outright list 
because you have to wonder about his actual stamina and his fitness level over the course of an entire event. But I have to at least point out how well he looked, just how good he looked uh, yesterday. Facing off against Souza, technically this morning, but you know what I mean. He absolutely demolished him. And it was one of the best all-around matches I've seen team play in a long time. He beat Souza 6-2-6-0. And I know Souza's not the player he used to be. And even in his peak, he wasn't exactly a great player by any means. 6-2-6-0, though. Team was just ripping backhands, forehands. The serve was good. The movement was good. It really was encouraging to see team play that well. And looking at the draw, I think it's actually favorable. Face off against the winner of Giron or Ramos Vinolas. That one's actually tricky. I think that match could go three. I think that'll be a very competitive match because Ramos Vinolas, who has never been known for being a hardcore, I'd say a good hardcore player by any means, has randomly been decent on hardcore this season. And Giron, being American, made the final in California before losing to Nakashima on hardcore a couple of weeks ago. I think that'll be a very competitive match, but I do think that team is better than both players talent-wise. So I'll go with team to win that one. And then he'll face off against either Sarundolo or uh, Guinard or Fagnini in the next round. I think team should be a pretty decent favorite there. So I really like uh, the opportunity that team has. Now, the problem with the two outrights that I mentioned is the fact that team and Paul would be on a collision course to play against each other in the semis, which is kind of concerning. But once again, I'm still low on Karenia Busta. So I don't think that Busta is going to make it there. And I think you can make a serious argument that whoever wins that semifinal match might be favored in the final if Busta ends up struggling. But you can talk about from a draw perspective, Batista Agut, because he's on the other side of the bracket. He does have to face off against most likely Korda in the next round, which would be a difficult matchup for him. You could mention Andy Murray. Murray, I wonder about fatigue and fitness level over the course of an entire tournament, but he has Fokina in the first round. I believe that's a minus 110 pick on both sides, so I really don't want to make a case for Murray when he's in an actual coin flip in round one, which is a serious problem. Now, to go through any other options here, I really don't see many. I think that this tournament, the there aren't many great options. You can argue Avashka, but I don't want to face Rublev in the first match after uh, taking on Feliciano Lopez. So it's kind of similar for Avashka, like taking Atta as a long shot in the other tournament. It sounds good if you like the upside of the player, but when you face off against the tournament favorite or the tournament second favorite in one of the first matches, it's really, really tough because you do have to most likely play against the guy where if you take a long shot on the other side of the bracket, you can hope that that guy, the favorite, ends up losing or withdrawing or there's some type of random circumstances where that your guy doesn't even have to face him in the first place, which is definitely a huge plus. But once again, I really don't see many great long shots here. You usually don't see many great long shot options in ATP tournaments. I know you had a couple of exceptions. Busta was a decent long shot in Montreal. You had Musetti as a serious long shot in Hamburg, but he's also a clay expert, so that's his favorite surface. But that's going to segue me back to my point, mostly with the Musetti tournament. I think anytime you want to take a serious long shot in the ATP, usually you're looking at clay court tournaments. Usually, that's how it works. Or maybe grass, because I know Van Rithoven won an event in his home country. But for a hard court event with a decent amount of top 10 players or former top 10 players, 
I do think there's not much value on the long shots in this event. So my two picks for the outrights in Gijon are going to be Tommy Paul at plus 750 and Team at plus 800. Rublev, I think, has a pretty good shot to win the tournament. I'm going to be fully honest. If he wins it, I would not be shocked at all. But I do think that Rublev, from what we've seen this year, is really prone to self-destructing. And we saw it against Nishioka, for example, in D.C. a couple months ago, where if you keep the ball in play long enough, Rublev's strokes might self-destruct. And I think Tommy Paul is very capable of doing that to Rublev. So I'm going to not pick Rublev. I'm going to pick Tommy Paul. And I think Avashka could also give Rublev problems. So my two picks uh, for, uh, just to go in order again, my two picks for Florence are going to be Berrettini as the tournament favorite at plus 200. And I'm also going to take Nakashima at 12 to 1. And my two picks for Gijon are going to be Tommy Paul at plus 750 and Dominic Team at plus 800. But that's going to do it for the actual outrights for this event. Unfortunately, I have no quarters, so I can't give you odds on those. I know we did well in the quarters last week. But before we actually get into the lock and dog for the upcoming matches, time to take another quick word from our sponsors. We're also brought to you by Fubo TV. If you watch football, you need Fubo TV. Fubo TV gives you complete coverage of college and pro football with NFL Red Zone Plus games in 4K at no extra charge. Over 100 channels of live sports and entertainment for a fraction of the price of cable. Watch on all your devices and never miss a game again or one of your favorite episodes from your favorite TV shows with the included cloud-based DVR. Plus, there's no contract, no commitment, and you can cancel at any time. Right now, you can try Fubo TV free for seven days and get 15% off your first month. Just go to FuboTV.com slash SGP. That's F-U-B-O-T-V.com slash SGP. Also brought to you by Odds Trader. What is Odds Trader? It's a place where you can compare odds from all the major sports books in one convenient location. You can compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. The app also gives you player statistics, key game stats, injury reports, and projected game day weather for bettors to make the most informed bets possible. It also has a bet tracker so bettors can keep track of their records on all the games and their betting activity. Go to oddstrader.com slash bluewire and oddstrader, the number one site for all of your game day bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. We just finished going through the actual outrights for Gijon and for the Forenzi Open. Now it's time to actually get into the lock and dog picks for the upcoming matches. And starting off with the actual lock, we are going to go to a matchup between a veteran and a bit of a youngster, but I am going to go with the veteran in this one. I'm going to take Andy Murray on the money line at minus 110 against Davidovich Fakina. And I think minus 110 is a little bit of a weird price, especially since Murray has looked better on hard court this season than Fokina has. I know Murray with his stamina is occasionally, I'd say, underwhelming. That's usually in the later rounds of an event. If you want to go through the actual records this season, Fokina has been pretty mediocre on hard court this season. And going through the recent results, Murray has been active. He was in the Labor Cup. He was in the Davis Cup. So he definitely was staying fresh after the U.S. Open. Not really the case for Fokina. Had the U.S. Open run there where he lost to Berrettini. Then he had one match against uh, Kotov in Astana, lost in straight sets, and now he's facing off against Murray. So I do wonder if Fokina is going to be a little bit rusty in this matchup. We also know that Fokina, even though his movement's very good, he also hits a ton of unforced errors, and I do think that Murray could keep the ball in play enough 
to let Fokina self-destruct. I just think he should be favored in this one. I think Murray at minus 110 is a pretty solid value play since he should probably be, in my eyes, minus 130, minus 140. So I'll take Murray on the money line at minus 110 as my lock. And for my dog, I'm going to stick with Gijon, and I'm going to look at a matchup between Guinard and Fagnini. And for this matchup, I'm going to take the underdog here. I'm going to take Guinard money line at plus 165. A couple reasons why I like him in this spot. Main reason, I think Fagnini is just past his prime, and I think he should not be laying 210 against basically anybody. But going through the numbers here, Fagnini, going through his past couple matches, he ended up having a pretty decent performance in the U.S. Open as we saw him lose to the likes of Nadal in that four-setter. After that, though, he really has not been playing that many singles matches. It's kind of weird. He kind of transitioned over to doubles. But to go through his results, he ended up losing, as I said before, to Fagnini. i sorry, he lost to Nadal. Then after that, he was in the Davis Cup, did not play a single singles match. It was all doubles. Then he ended up going over to Sofia, played a doubles match, a couple of them actually, and played one singles match, lost to Vukic, 7-6, 7-5 in the first round there. Went to Astana played in no singles matches, and he's playing doubles once again. So I'm not sure if Fagnini has fully transitioned to doubles or if he just doesn't exactly prioritize singles anymore. But either way, the point is, Fagnini is not really playing many singles matches. And when he has, he hasn't looked that sharp, losing to Vukic in straight sets in Sofia. I think Guinard, despite being a youngster who does not exactly have many great results in his own right in singles, I do think, though, the fact that he qualified here Having to go through two rounds, he should be familiar with the actual court. The fact that Fagnini is a lot older, he's battled some physical issues the last couple of years with stamina, etc. I just think for a guy who's been playing so many doubles matches and not playing nearly as many singles matches, I think Fagnini should not be favored by around like minus 220, minus 210. And as a result, I do think that this line should be closer. I think Fagnini should be around minus 140, minus 150. But Guinard going through qualifying, I think, will actually give him a nice boost with some familiarity with the courts. So I'm going to go with Guinard on the money line at plus 165. So once once again, the lock and dog for the show, the lock will be Andy Murray at minus 110 on the money line against Fokina. And the dog is going to be Guinard on the money line at plus 165 against Fognini. Other than that, though, that's been this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. We're back at some point later on in the tournament to go through some updated future odds and to go through the actual uh, upcoming matches. But until then, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.